I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to Thoughts on Money, what we like to call Tom. Today, I will be your host. This is Sean Latimer filling in for our good friend Trevor Cummings, who is not able to be with us today. But uh, he'll be back feeling better, hopefully in the next couple days or so. And uh, I also have joining me today, Drew Dill. Drew, say hi to the people. Hello, everybody. So we are blessed because Trevor actually wrote this article, and then he asked us to talk about it. So we get to kind of make fun of him along the way, right, Drew? Uh, wouldn't it be a Tom podcast with Trevor not here and not making fun of him? We must do that. So <laughs> Wait, we're, we're kidding. We won't make fun of him the whole time, but he's probably listening to this and uh, rolling his eyes right now. But the, the name of this article is The Stock Market. Drew, what, what do you think of when you hear the word the stock market? Yeah, it's funny. I think when I hear stock market, I think of the Dow Jones. That would be the first thing that comes to mind. And I know that's wrong, but that would be the first thing because it's a broader index. And so when somebody says stock market, I think broad indexes like the S&P, Dow Jones, and the NASDAQ. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's probably what they see flash on their screen when they turn on the news. It talks about what the Dow or the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ did that day. But the funny part is, even the Dow, it's 30 companies, and you look at the S&P 500, even though it's technically supposed to be 500 companies, it's actually not. 505? Yeah, 505. But the real answer is it's about nine technology stocks that make up 30% of it. And I I always find it interesting when people talk about the market or the S&P 500, no, you're really talking about a handful of companies that attributed a majority of the growth. Uh, th- there's been years that they contributed the only growth, where they they contributed the growth of the S&P 500, and the other 300 companies that were included below them, well, obviously there's more than 300, but were actually negative for the year. So when you look at it, it's not a fair comparison. But the other reason, too, is when you look at people's portfolios, they don't own, hopefully, they don't own just one index or one sector or one part of the market anyways. So I do find it interesting when people try to compare it to the market because yeah, it, it doesn't really mean that. It's interesting. So if the Dow, if the S&P is up 15% year to date and people say the market's up, but to your point, you look with under the, the hood and you're like 83% of the 505 companies are negative. So is the market really up when 83% are down? Yeah. And markets have been really friendly the past 12 years. And see, I do the same thing when I say markets. I mean... A majority of stocks that you pick have gone up in the past 12 years. Some have gone up a lot more than others, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, not all stocks are created equal. And I think Trevor does a good job of kind of explaining the difference between a stock and a business that you're investing in. Um, stocks are traded. It's almost like a commodity. You, you hope to buy low and sell high, but unfortunately, most people are not good at it. And the real reason is because there's human emotion involved. You feel like you're missing out on something that's doing well and you want to be included. Maybe you're buying at the worst possible time. Or you look at something that's done uh, poorly for the past couple of years, and you look at it and say, oh, I'm never going to buy that. But the real answer is you're you're running out of the store when things are going on sale. You're deciding not to own something that's at a discount. So it's pretty hard to uh, take the emotion out of it, especially when it's your life savings or your retirement account. When people look at it like stocks compared to businesses, they're usually short-term investors, in my experience. So when I'm talking about with clients or prospects or, or people about the market and they talk about us picking stocks, for example, um, you know, I always frame it like Trevor, we pick businesses. But typically, in my experience, the conversation is always, well, will you sell it? Will you sell it when it's really high? And the answer is no, because we treasure the businesses. And so if you think about it as 
we're kind of coming alongside these businesses. These are ours. We own it. We're rooting for them rather than we're just waiting to use you to get to a point to then sell you, right? Stock is kind of like a used and abused type term to where it's uh, there's no intimacy there to where I feel like if you frame it with businesses, there's more intimacy. Like you're rooting for them. Like you're involved. You're, you're doing research. You're you know, asking your friends about these kind of companies. I don't know. Does that make sense to you? It, it totally does. And and th- maybe that's a good subject for a, a future topic where, you know, there's businesses that we buy their services and goods and, and we can be like advocates for them. And then you think, oh, wow, if I'm this happy as being a customer, I bet other people are too. And that's probably a business I'd want to own. So th- there's definitely an argument to be made there. But we kind of jumped ahead because I think we're just so excited about talking about the market because we're, we're uh, finance nerds. But uh the article, it talks about a story where he was, you know, chopping it up with friends and they were talking about selling a piece of real estate. And uh, it sounded like it was maybe a good decision, maybe not. Uh, but they they weren't using the obvious questions of, do I need liquidity? Is this going to be better for my estate plan? Um, what's the purpose of this money? And what, what, what could I, what's the opportunity cost? Like if I sell it, what would I use the money to go do? None of those things came up. Uh, the the reason that gave them pause was, oh well, you know the market's feeling pretty frothy right now. I don't think I should sell this house. And I can almost like picture Trevor's face of being like perplexed, like wait, what? But those don't technically have anything to do with each other. I mean, uh, what do you what did you think of when you read that story? Well, I thought that it's a common perception that that that. Uh, friend's mindset is a really common perception, I think, with with the majority of people that I come across. The idea is is that, and again, you know, trying to time the market, um, waiting for, uh, you know, to sell an asset just because you can make a lot of money to where you're like, well, hold on, step back. How does that fit within your specific situation? Your real estate, your bonds, your equities all should have a specific goal they're trying to achieve on each client's individual balance sheet that's unique to them. Some clients should own 30% bonds. Some clients should own 2% bonds. Yeah. And the idea isn't, you know, we own bonds because we want it to go up 100%. No, you own bonds because there's a safety net. But then you own 70% equities because you're young and you have time and you can take volatility and so forth. So the key question is, is if you're going to sell real estate or not sell it, the key is why do you have it in the first place? Why did you buy it? What's its point? What was it? You know, what what goals were you originally trying to achieve with it? And I think that people just think, well, I can make a lot of money, and so it makes sense to do it now. And you're like, that's that's not how finances work, or, or at least they they shouldn't work that right. way. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. The the first thing I think of is I'm, I'm watching houses in my neighborhood get sold for record prices left and right, and it, it's interesting because you know, 12 months ago, uh, one of my friends sold his house and he uh, upgraded. Good for him. And to another neighborhood, and I, I was like, wow, I can't believe the home went that high. And now I'm looking at prices today, and it dwarfs what it was then. And then it makes you start to think, like, should we be selling our house? But then you have to answer the other question. Where are we going to go live? We're going to be buying at a premium. Does it make sense? Is it the right time? What do property taxes look like? There's so many other things that go into that decision. But that uh, that natural feeling of missing out or, like, am I blowing it right now? Is this a golden opportunity that I should be taking advantage of? It's common to feel that, I think. Yeah. So when you think of your situation and you think of your house and you're like, oh, it's going up, should I sell? The key question is, well, if I buy something, the market's just as high. So I'm going to purchase whatever I'm going to purchase and an upgrade at a higher price as well. And so when I think of things like that, to where it would make sense, maybe depending upon how much equity you had or mm-hmm. depending on maybe Sean has triplets coming, right? <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> but if, 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 if life situations changed and then you have a ton of equity that you right that you can capitalize on, then it makes sense yeah. to upgrade for the house. 
but that's not for everybody again. And that's why these questions are so key to ask and take a step back and kind of go fine tooth comb through all the specific reasons of why you own it, uh, your life situation, what goals it's trying to achieve and so forth. And then if you bought it, to your point, you're just going to spend a ton of money on whatever you're going to upgrade on. So it's right. somewhat equivalent. And then you run into the person who's like a mover and shaker. They're like, no, I'll rent for three months and then wait for the perfect buying opportunity. The timer. And, and, yeah. And then the Warren you're, Buffett. You're sitting there and you're like, wait, what? No. <laughs> no. But uh, hey, sorry, we're kind of off track. So back back to Trevor's article. So he does a really good job of explaining um, what does the market mean? Well, there's different indexes that people look at, and that's what they use to benchmark. But they are definitely not invested in the same thing. And we kind of touched on that earlier. Underneath the hood, there are different indexes or, or different sectors that are investing in different types of businesses, whether that's financials, whether it's uh, energy companies or healthcare or consumer staples or real estate. And it's often tracked how those perform and how they're correlated. And what you will typically find is there is no pattern. It, it is uh, almost at random because if there was a pattern, then it'd be pretty easy to predict and then you could just pick the right ones at the right time, right? Well, we know that's not true. So... It is interesting to see companies that were in favor before, like technology names, that are not in favor now. And then you look at names that are in favor, like financials and energy, that are doing really well. And granted, we're only 25 days into the year, but when you when you look at this type of rotation, it does make you ask, wow, well, it doesn't necessarily matter what the market's doing. It may matter more of what part of the market people are invested in and why. And I, I think he does a good job explaining the difference between, you know, businesses over stocks and, and maybe you can touch on that part yeah so i think we did touch a little bit already on the businesses versus stocks right business is a company that you're doing research on that you're evaluating not only the leadership board um, board decisions pending lawsuits against it uh, cash flow revenues pe ratios i mean when you're looking at all those things then you're buying a business future projections are a part of it um, I think buying a stock, I think of more of speculation, just trying to buy low, sell high, um, you know, use it, ditch it, right, right just to make a quick gain. Um, so businesses, I think of long-term investor, stocks, I think of kind of a speculator and a shorter-term uh, investor. So I think what we're getting at too is the valuation thing, right, which is a huge point here of saying, Sean, why did the sector switch? So as of right now, the energy sector is up, technology is down. Is it a changing of the guard, right? Which does happen in some of these indexes every once in a while, right? The, the t stocks that maybe led it for 12 years could now fall out of favor to, for several different reasons. Or is it their valuations are too high or is it a combination of, of the, all of the above? I think it's definitely a combination of both. Um, because if you tried to turn on the news and look at headlines and say, oh, this is why the market's doing this or that, um, you, you'll probably leave more confused than you when you were when you started this endeavor because there really is no rhyme or reason. Um, our chief investment officer, David Bonson, made a funny joke the other day. As he was writing the DC Today, he was talking about the futures market changing and how it went from being down 300 points to up 200 points within 30 minutes. Um, you can't possibly just decide or put your finger on it. Oh, it was this that did that because every day there's been some sort of news that has made the market do huge swings left and right. So I, I think you're spot on. Valuation does matter. And, and Trevor talks about that price matters because he gives an analogy of where you meet someone who has a successful lemonade stand. And uh, maybe maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe you've uh, eaten somewhere or you've shopped somewhere and you've thought, wow, I had a really good customer experience. Like they, they had the best product. They had the best people. I enjoyed everything about it. And if there are more of these, this would be a really successful business. And you think, wow, this place is going to do really well. That's the type of business I want to own. 
those situations do happen. And people will look back and they'll be like, wow, I'm so glad I invested in that company that I had faith in 20 years ago. Look at this amount of money it's accumulated to. That, that story does happen. Now, I will say, and I say this kind of tongue in cheek, there is the other side of the coin where people use a narrative or a story to sell you a stock, and which is really unfortunate because it makes me think of a, of, of a movie. Brian, are we allowed to talk about movies? Can we say a movie? Yeah. Like, uh, so there's movies out there where it's a Wall Street movie and, and they're trying to sell you these cutting edge technology companies that are going to change the world. But really, they know that they're selling them penny stocks that are worthless. But the narrative makes it sound like the ground floor. It's really exciting. And they're going to be uh, they even use analogies like, yeah, your wife, she won't be upset. Imagine if you're paying off your mortgage or you're sending your kids to college with this one investment and they pull on those emotional threads and tell you the story. And it's unfortunate because it's like terrible ethics and bad salesmanship and or whatever you would call it but it happens in the world so yeah. i i would say it, don't fall for the narrative you know make sure that you're looking into the businesses that you own and that you truly believe hey that is a good business i do so, understand that so what you're saying is the narrative is it's important right but it's it's not all important it needs to make sure that it aligns with the math or or what we would say the the balance sheet of of the company would that be a fair assessment absolutely you got to have both you can't just have one and people can get or have been, unfortunately, suckered by just leaning on the narrative. So I have a question. Wouldn't narrative-driven stock selling, it's almost like narrative-driven momentum index investments as well. There's there's that same thing yeah. to where fear of missing out. Um, I need to jump on because, you know, it's gone up 20% and I'm sure it's going to go up another 50%. And then they'll do, people will do that, I think, in indexes as well. I think it's there's, there's the same sort of emotional reaction uh, the fear of missing out, seeing a narrative, and then not you know not wanting to sit on the sidelines for it. Absolutely, expensive things can become more expensive. You know, it's the it's somewhat of the greater fool's theory that there's always someone willing to pay more for it, and it's unfortunate because the people that kind of push that narrative are normally the people that have had success with it. So whether it's a uh, a speculative currency investment or a technology name that's appreciated a ton it's pretty easy to talk about your winners and say, oh, this is so great. You know, I've doubled my money with this investment and they're coming out with this new product and this and that. Well, I know my friends at the cocktail party, some of them are like, oh man, I should buy that. That sounds pretty exciting. But realistically, it's also recency bias. You know, I love them today because they're doing great. I hate them tomorrow because they're down, you know? So I, I do think it's important that people are able to differentiate stocks, which have kind of no meaning to the person. And Trevor also mentions that this is where greed can enter. Because you're thinking, oh, if, if it just gets to this price, not this business, not this business helps this many more people or grows their pro their earnings. If the stock can just go up a little bit more, I'll make a little bit more profit. And I, I feel like that's a that when people are about to fall on their face. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And and not doing your valuation homework, the math homework, um, is something that a lot of people I don't think are equipped to do. But would you say that? If a company is growing a dividend and paying a dividend, that tells you that whatever's happening behind the scenes, um, they're most likely the math is good on the balance sheets. Yeah, would that'd that, be a fair. And that's kind of a plug to what we do here at the Bonson Group because obviously we do, shameless plug, we shameless plug because <laughs> we do care about uh, dividend companies that grow their dividends year over year because it means they have a strong balance sheet. And that means they have earnings and cash flow that's growing, and they want to share those profits with their shareholders. I, we believe that's one of the best indicators of the company's future success. So yes, that we, we believe in that tremendously. Does that mean that there's other companies out there that can have maybe more price appreciation even though they don't uh, pay a dividend? Sure. There, there are companies out there that do it. They and have done it. They have done it. They take those profits and they go acquire. They do this or do that. 
I will say it's not as likely. Uh, that's why there aren't a lot of them. But uh, we do believe that the cash flow growing year over year is the best indicator. And that's kind of what Trevor alludes to is the stock price or a stock in general. It's not very intimate. It, but owning a business that you believe in, it, it's it's much easier to ride that long-term investment. Yeah, especially when you're getting cash now for it. Because if somebody sells you a narrative, but you're getting cash in the now and in the future, um, not without, without selling the stock, it means whatever they're telling you in the narrative is aligning with the math because you're getting paid in actual dollars right away. True. So they're not lying about their balance sheets, which, right, there's there's creative accountants out there at Fortune 500 companies. Um, and so if we have companies that are paying their dividends, right, on a consistent basis and increasing them, uh, it tells you that the narrative and the math are looking good because they're putting their money where their mouth is. That's a very good point. You know, some of these companies trade at really high PE ratios, meaning <clears throat> that those <clears throat> 10 years future earnings are projected to be very high. And they almost have to be because if they're not, the current stock price is not justified. And that means that any unexpected headwind, anything that was unexpected, it can derail that investment. And and if you're a shareholder and you were banking on that happening, and that's your retirement assets, that, that, that could be a, a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. So the, the PE ratios, <clears throat> thinking of companies that are are, are trading at very high high multiples of that. What you're saying is if there's one thing that goes wrong, right, and, and everything is not executed to perfection to meet those future earnings, it's going to be trouble for the value of that stock. Potentially, yes. Potentially, yep. Yeah. So all this to be said, uh, if we go back to Trevor's example, uh, find more businesses like the lemonade stands that you believe in and you think are going to be fruitful businesses for years to come. Find those and build a portfolio of those. But also, I, this is, I guess, my little disclaimer, make sure that the purpose of the investment is stated. If the purpose is to grow over time and to generate income for years to come, that's why you would own uh, equities or businesses. If this is money that you're going to be spending for your daughter's wedding later this year, or you're hoping to buy your first house next year, it shouldn't be in equities or stocks to begin with. So make sure that the purpose of the investment makes sense. Make sure that when you're looking at estate planning or over, overall retirement planning, that the red flashing on the screen doesn't uh, deter you or, or change you or change your decision making. So, uh, any closing thoughts, Drew? No, that's that's a it's a fantastic point. Anytime we're talking about buying anything in the market, there are multiple factors. But I would say the key ones, if you're an investor, to think through is time horizon. Right? How long is it that I need this money? Is it ten years plus? And if it's long-term investing, I think, A, that's the right way to do it. B, if you're a long-term investor picking companies that have good balance sheets. So doing your homework a little bit, and a good way to see that is, are they paying a dividend and have they grown that dividend historically, is a helpful way as a barometer to know that the math is there. And then thinking, how will this company do in the future? So that takes homework, which is fun to some people, and uh, to other people it's not. And there's financial advisors out there to help. Well said. So if you do have questions, if you want to talk about lemonade stands or dividends or anything like that, please don't hesitate to reach out to Tom at thebonsongroup.com. We would ask you to rate and review the podcast. We appreciate it. Um, Trevor will be back soon uh, to, with another episode, and uh, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on Money. money. 
Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.